I just wanted to take a few moments today to share from a passage of scripture that I've really been living in and wrestling with over the last little while, but a passage of scripture that I feel is like really appropriate for the moment that we are in just now. Um, and so we're going to dive in a wee second into Numbers chapter 14, and we'll read verse 1 uh, and then verse 26 through to 33. But I wanted to tell you a little story as we begin this morning. Um, when I went to secondary school, uh, I wasn't the just about six foot tall man that I am just now. I was very small as an 11 year old um, and PE was my favorite subject. Um, when I uh, grew up in school, my, the school that I went to was sort of in the, the wild west end of Glasgow. So there's like the west end of Glasgow, that's the nice posh part. And then there's like the wild west end beyond that, which is the slightly more violent uh, part of Glasgow. Um, but that's where I grew up. Uh, and so in my school growing up, in primary school, all we ever did was play football, basically. We never did anything apart from that. But I went to secondary school and discovered there was this sport called rugby, um, which I'd never encountered before. I don't think I'd watched a rugby match in my life up until that point. But we, in our very first block of secondary uh, S1, started to play rugby. And at the same time as that, a guy transferred into our school uh, who'd went abroad with his parents for a year to Australia and had come back. So he was the year above us, but he'd been kept back a year and he was joining our year. And he was called David. Now, a more appropriate name for him would have been Goliath because he was about six foot tall as like a 14 year old. He was about double the height of me. And I can just vividly remember playing rugby in S1 on Scottsdale showground fields. It was a rainy, wet, miserable day and somebody passed me the rugby ball and as I caught it, I turned around and all I could see running towards me was this man mountain of a child who was more like a man. He had some stubble and he was running at me and I did not know what to do. I completely panicked. And so what you're really supposed to do at that point is kind of pass the ball away and take the hit. What I did was throw the ball up in the air and dive to the ground as quickly as possible so that he didn't have a chance to get me. Needless to say, my teammates were not impressed with my uh, rugby skills. But the point is this. Sometimes we see giants coming towards us and we don't have a clue what to do. And I believe in this passage today we have the chance to learn how to look beyond the giants. How do we see beyond the giants that are right in front of us and see into the goodness and the promise that the Father has given us and not miss out by the distraction of the giants? And so we're going to dive in today. It's Numbers, it's chapter um, 13, sorry, I said 14 at the beginning, but it's actually 13, verse 1 and then 26 to 33. Let's jump in together. The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land where you sent us and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the descendants of the Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites and the Amorites live in the hill country and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. 
But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they'd explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak, come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. We are in a moment here that is just like this passage. For the people of God, they'd just come out of the slavery of Egypt. They'd been under Pharaoh's rule. They'd come out of this terrible time in their history where they were oppressed and pushed down and taken advantage of. And the Lord has led them out. And now they stand on the brink of the promised land. They're looking into the very thing that God has promised them. And they have a choice to make. And it's a bit similar. I don't know if that situation rings true for you just now. We look back at the last 18 months and they were crazy and terrible. And for a whole bunch of us, we'll have lost loved ones and lost our jobs and lost um, so much across that time. And yet what we look forward to in the moments to come seems like a brighter moment. There seems to be a breakthrough moment coming where it's not going to be like this forever. And yet we have some choices to make in this moment too. It's such a sweet passage for this moment. And I honestly think there's so much in the way that Caleb and then in the following chapter, Joshua, hold themselves that we can learn from in this season. How do we look beyond the giants that we see? How do we see beyond the challenges that lie in front of us? How do we keep our eyes on what God has for us? And I think the first thing that we learn is that Caleb and Joshua keep their eyes focused on the promise of God. They do not lose sight of the promise that has been given to them. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 17, as they're coming out from under Pharaoh's rule, God promises them the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey, a bountiful land for them to walk into. And then at the beginning of this passage, he again promises them, he says, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. This is the promise God has made to his people in this moment. This is the guarantee that he's made. And yet for some of the spies who went into the land, it wasn't enough of a promise. They go into the land and even though God's promised to give it to them, they see the enemies and they quake in fear and they quickly take their eyes off the promise and start spreading a bad report saying, there's no way we can take this land. We don't have a chance. It's too hard. It's too challenging. There's too much in front of us. The giants in the land cause them to lose sight of the promise. And fear can do that, can't it? Fear can cause us to lose sight of the things that God has given us. Fear can cause us to lose sight of the places that God has called us to go. Recently, I was teaching my little girl the concept of a trust fall. I don't know if you know what a trust fall is, but basically you stand with your back to a person and then fall back and allow them to catch you. Now, if you're doing that with a five-year-old girl, that's fine to do on your own. But if you as an adult want to give it a go, make sure that there's maybe three or four adults ready to catch you. It's not a one-on-one -on -one kind of activity. But I was teaching her the concept of trusting, falling back so that I would catch her. And it was really interesting. I put her on our garden wall and I said, I've got you, be love. I'm going to catch you. You fall back. And, and it started with, a kinda, she was sort of sheepishly looking over her shoulder and then kind of half falling back or she'd crouch away down and then like kind of roll back into me if she found it really hard to just fall straight back. And 
I don't think I've ever let her down in that way before. I don't think I've ever dropped her or anything to give her reason to think I wouldn't have caught her. But the fear of that moment caused her to doubt the promise that I'd made to her. In the same way with the Israelites, the fear of what stood in front of them causes them to doubt the promise that God has made to them. And it wasn't as if they didn't have evidence of God following through on his promises. He said, I'm going to take you out from under Pharaoh's rule. And he did that. He leads them out. Not only does he lead them out, but he does it in a miraculous way with plagues and all kinds of things that are like so clearly God at work. Then as he leads them out, they're kind of running off into the desert and he says, hey, I'm going to give you this pillar of fire and this pillar of smoke that you can follow the whole way through. So they're seeing the literal presence of God in front of them every single day. As if that wasn't enough, they get to the edge of the Red Sea and, and they're being pinned in by the Egyptian army who've decided they don't want them to leave after all. And then the Lord miraculously parts the waters for them and they walk through, un, like amazingly walk through an ocean before it comes crashing down behind them after they've come through. They've seen God promise things and deliver on it. Yet something about this moment, the fear that rises up in them, causes them to doubt that God will follow through on his promise. I wonder what they thought was going to happen when they got to the promised land. I wonder if they thought they were just going to stroll into it and it would be like just a skipping through like a, a daisy-filled field as they skipped into their new home. I don't know what they thought. But I think if their history had been anything to go by, nothing is always quite that easy when it comes to walking in the calling that God's given us. It's a challenge. It requires a step of faith, courage, bravery to look beyond the challenge in front of us and step into the place where God's called us. I think about people like Daniel. Daniel, who was exiled, cheated and eventually thrown into a den filled with lions for refusing to bend the knee to anyone but God. I think about Joseph, who in order to get to his calling as God's man in, the, in Pharaoh's camp, had to be sold into slavery, imprisoned, beaten, lied about. It was not an easy journey for him. I think about David, who Chuck told us about just a few weeks ago, the challenges that he had to face um, as he was becoming king, facing giants, being chased by his own king, exiled from his land. It doesn't seem to ever be quite easy to walk into the promises that God's got for us. It always requires a step of faith, a leap, a trusting in him moment. I wonder if for some of us today we might not find ourselves in a similar place, that we see that God has something ahead of us, and yet the thing that gets our attention most is the giants. I wonder if for some of us we wake each morning to the giant of anxiety, and we can just never quite see the promises of God fully because it has such a grip on our vision. I wonder if for some of us this morning, we have the giant of depression that we wake to each day. That constant sense of never quite having the fullness of what God has for us. I wonder if for some of us we face the giant of losing our jobs or our jobs been on the line or our finances been really tight. 
and it gets so much of our attention that we just can't quite see beyond it to the God who is standing with open arms and good promises and faithfulness waiting for us. There are giants. There were giants in the land. But God's promise was even bigger, was even more true, was even more real than the giants that stood in front of them. You see, we have an enemy who operates in lies, who would love to tell us that we'll never get beyond where we currently are. We'll never be able to take on that challenge. We'll never be able to step into the land. And that's one voice. But we also have a heavenly father whose language is love, who would speak to us this morning, I've got you. We can do this. You can enter that land. You can walk past that giant. You can take it. The giants that we face now may look different to the giants that we faced 18 months ago, but our God is exactly the same. And so let me just bring you, if you know that you're staring a giant in the face this morning, let me just bring you some Bible truth that you can speak right into the giant's face this morning. And here's some of them. Does your giant seem too big? Does the thing that you're facing just seem too big to conquer? Well, in Psalm 146, verse 6, it says this, He is the maker of heaven and earth, the seas and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. Our God is bigger. Does your giant seem really scary? Well, in Psalm, in Psalm 23, verse 4, it says this, Even though I walk through the valley, of, uh, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. God is never away from you. There's no fear too great that he's not in. Does your giant look like it's got more resources than you have? Well, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, it says this, And my God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. There's no giant that has more resources than the king of, the king of heaven. Hey, does it feel like you've ran out of time to face your giant? Well, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, it says this, But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. Our God is outside of time. It's never too late. Does your giant look impossible to defeat? Does it just look far too hard? Well, in Matthew chapter 19, verse 26, Jesus said this. He looked at his disciples and he said to them, With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. All things are possible. When we look beyond the giants, when we focus on the promises of God, when we focus on the truth of Scripture, the truth of God, God's character, it helps us to not get lost in the fear. It helps us to not get lost in the and the toughness and the challenge and the difficulty. It's not to belittle those giants. They're very real and they're there. But we also have a heavenly father who is right there with us. Who is beyond it all. Who knows us intimately and who knows how to walk us lovingly and carefully into the promises and the calling that he's made for us. So a great question for us today then would be, what giants have my attention just now? What am I waking up and thinking about first thing in the morning? What's in my head when I go to bed at night? 
and just give that to the Lord. Say, Lord, I don't want to deal with this giant on my own. Would you come and speak fresh your promise and your truth into that situation? So Caleb and Joshua, they see beyond the giants into the promise of God. They don't lose sight of the promise. The second thing is they're focused on the goodness of God. The promised land that the Lord has given them is not some barren wasteland that they're going to have to farm and work hard on for years and years and years. It is a land bountiful with goodness. There's fruit aplenty. It's flowing with milk and honey. I don't really like getting too much into the flowing with milk analogy because if you can attract that back, I'm not sure what's happening. Are they just milking loads of cows all at once? Or I don't know what's going on with the milk flowing. I don't want to go too far into that. But it is rich with God's goodness. It's a good land. It is a lovely gift from a heavenly father who is ready to place it into the hands of his children. All of the spies who went into the land saw this. Only Caleb and Joshua came back and said, it's good and it's ours. All of them saw it, but only two of them were able to focus on the goodness and not the giants. Caleb's words are amazing. He says, we should go up and take possession of the land for we certainly can do it. He knows what God's put before them is a perfect gift. And his focus is on the goodness of God and not of the giantness of the giants. God gave them a description of the land. Caleb and Joshua have gone and looked at it and they've like, that's it. That's what he promised us. Flown with milk and honey. There's a land flown with milk and honey. They see the goodness of God. About 12 years ago, I was working in Glasgow um, and I entered into a season of my life where it felt like a whole bunch of things were all going wrong all at one time. Um, I was working in a job that I was finding really difficult at that time. And I was having lots of conversations with my manager about how to get better at it and what to do to improve. And there was lots of chat like that. At the same time as that, I'd just broken up with somebody and it was a really rough breakup and I didn't quite understand it. And at the same time as that as well, I, I developed this sort of quite debilitating medical condition that really impacted my life for a, a season where it, it caused me to think about everywhere I went and what I did and it brought me a lot of fear and anxiety and I actually got to the place where I found it quite comfortable just not really leaving the house if I didn't have to. And I started to feel really sorry for myself. I started to just sort of feel like, this is rubbish. Why has this happened to me? And then I allowed that to spill over from a little bit of feeling sorry for myself into more of like a bitterness and a jealousy. Um, I was kind of looking around and I was like, I feel like I'm a better Christian than that person. Like, why... Why have they not got this? Why has it happened to me? Or that's so unfair, God. Why have you done this? I don't understand. What I'd lost sight of, though, was that God had been so good to me up until that point in my life. He'd rescued me out of some really dark situations. He'd put friends and family around about me who'd helped me walk towards him. He'd put me in a church family of people who loved me and cared for me and discipled me. He'd allowed me to partner with him in praying for healing and seeing people healed. There'd been so many moments and, and especially in our little prayer room in White Inch in Glasgow where I remember times of just uh, praying and encountering the Lord's presence so strongly that I was scared to open my eyes in case I actually saw him. 
he'd had so many good moments with me and yet as soon as things started getting a bit hard and a bit tough I lost sight of the goodness of God and I allowed bitterness and anger and jealousy to creep into my heart and it took some really patient love from some of my friends and my pastor at that time to just say hey your heart doesn't seem very good here maybe it's time for you to start focusing on the goodness of God again ultimately though it became a choice I had to choose not to allow my heart to be conquered by the bitterness and the anger that would look to take over it. And I had to choose to come to the Lord with thankfulness and to focus on his goodness, the goodness that had been in my life and the goodness that was still in my life. Guys, probably for all of us watching today, this last season has brought about some of those giants. Real tough moments, real hard things. I don't think any of us would look back and say, this has been the best 18 months of my life. I've had a great time. It's been hard. And I don't want to in any way belittle anything that anyone has gone through this morning. But if we feel like our hearts are just constantly caught in the bitterness and the fear and the anger of what has been, and we've lost sight of the goodness of God, then it might be a wee moment here to have a heart switch. There might be a wee moment to bring it afresh to Jesus and say, God, I want to choose to focus on your goodness again. I think the thing about this moment for the people of God was this moment had an echo and effect for a whole generation of people. The choice that they make here ultimately is not to go into the promised land. They choose to believe the 10 spies who say it couldn't be done. And what that decision means for them is that a whole generation of the people of God never saw the promised land. The fear and not seeing the goodness of God caused them to be in a desert for 40 years, wandering around, waiting for something to change. And do you know who the only two people were who actually got to see the promised land? It was Caleb and Joshua. That's what the Lord said. Only Caleb and Joshua will see it. And so I just wonder for us today, is this a moment to make a fresh decision, a fresh moment with the Lord to say, I'm going to choose to focus on your goodness. And even if we can't see goodness in our life right in this moment, we can focus on the ultimate goodness that is the gift of Jesus to us from the Father. God gave his one and only son to come and live a very earthly life and to die a very humiliating, painful, earthly death so that when he was raised up from the grave, when he conquered death, there was a way for us to be in relationship with the Father again, our sins forgiven, our trespasses made right, a way for us to repent and come to the Father fresh and clean once again. We know that the goodness of God is in our life because of the very real presence of Jesus in our lives. There is goodness here for us. Samuel Wesley, who is the father of Charles and John Wesley, wrote this amazing hymn, in the Methodist hymn book, it comes under a section of hymns called Describing the Goodness of God. And it doesn't even have a title. It's just called Number 22. But I just love the words of this. I'd love to read it out. This is the goodness of God in the gift of Jesus. It says this. Behold the Savior of mankind nailed to the shameful tree. How vast the love that him inclined to bleed and die for thee. But soon he'll break death's envious chain and in full glory shine. O Lamb of God was ever pain, 
was ever love like thine. As we look towards the season that comes, maybe we have a chance here to leave the kind of marker that will define us as a generation where the people of God chose not to go into the promised land and to be consumed by the fear of the giants. Maybe we have a moment to say, I can see your goodness, God, and I'm going to choose to follow you. I'm going to choose to follow you beyond the fear that I feel, beyond the anxiety I feel, beyond the loss that I've suffered, beyond um, the difficulty and the pain that I've experienced. And I'm going to choose to see beyond it and to see your goodness and your promise. And I'm going to choose to continue to follow you into it. Let's look for the goodness and the promises of God when the giants are in our way. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would be with every person watching just now, Lord. And with each of us in this room today. I pray that you would give us godly vision that helps us to see beyond the giants. Would you help us see your promises, Lord? Would you help us see your goodness, Lord, the big things and also all those little things that you do for us on a daily basis, Lord, that are just your goodness, your love for us in action? Come, Holy Spirit. And maybe for you this morning, maybe some of this has been ringing true and you've been thinking, man, I'm facing some giants just now and I just really am struggling to see beyond it. If that's you, why don't you just place a hand on your heart where you are just now or stretch your hands wide just as a sign to say, God, I'm, I'm ready to do some business with you. And Holy Spirit, would you come and speak into the fear that the giants of life would look to cultivate? And we just say, be gone in Jesus' name. Would you bring peace and an assurance a glimpse of your goodness and your promises afresh, Lord. Would you help us to see beyond the giants this morning? Holy Spirit, would you bring courage and clarity to walk towards what you have for us? Amen.